Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. And I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael B. Okay, everybody, my name is uh, Michael, and uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, thank you, Veronica, for asking me a couple months ago. It's nice. We uh, see each other at uh, meetings, and so we saw each other on Wednesday night and said, you don't have to call. This is a, so uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad there's a lot of newcomers here. Uh, part of me is glad. My ego is uh, a little scared because uh, that's a responsibility. Um, to uh, carry the message to so many people from even out of the country, you know. But we're all in this together, and that's probably that message, the main message that I have. So hopefully you'll relate to something that I say. I, um, I came to you originally in the early 80s. I uh, got clean and sober in, uh, in AA, and I had a three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction, and I could not stop. And I started bitching and complaining about it in AA, and there were some old-timers that told me to shut up. And uh, they said, we don't care if you smoke yourself to death. Uh, we're concerned about your drinking. Are you sober? And I go, yeah. And they go, shut up. And I thought, oh, geez. You know, they're kind of rough. And um, so somebody put his arm with He was from England. I remember his name was Brian. I haven't seen him in a long time. Hope he's still alive. And he said, Do you know, there's a there's a Smokers Anonymous meeting. Why don't you go to that and bitch and complain? So, uh, so I went. It was in Hollywood on Yucca. We lived in Hollywood uh, at the time. And um, and there was one guy that uh, sat for an hour and told me what he was like, what happened, and what he was like now. And he said, See you next week. And so I came back the next week, and there's maybe two people and stuff. So. It was, took about six weeks, and the, uh, the three-pack-a-day smoking addiction was removed, and it was miraculous, because I couldn't stop. Um, the only problem was, is I put on 30 pounds in 30 days, and, um, and it was not the first time I had eaten compulsively, but it was the first time I was aware of eating compulsively, because I was clean and sober. And uh, part of any addiction that I have is, uh, like our birthday person said, uh, you know, I just want to escape. I don't want to be aware of anything. And, uh, and uh, the steps allow me to be present and, uh, and aware of everything, good, bad, and ugly. So uh, it was pretty ugly with 30 pounds in 30 days and, and, and going, going bigger and bigger. And so I went to my AA people and I said, you know, I'm eating Haagen-Dazs after the meeting and I'm eating like uh, uh, taquitos and, and, you know, all the other stuff. And, and the same old timers just like, what's the matter with you? Don't you understand? We don't care about your eating, you know? We don't. So I knew there was overeaters in Ireland. So I came to you guys and uh, I probably sat in the back and I was just very scared. I'm fear-based, you know. And, um, and I heard like a lot of you didn't eat... Uh, uh, sugar and a lot of you didn't eat white flour and three meals a day with nothing in, in between and I thought okay good and it wasn't good because I was trying to do it on my own even though I was coming to you guys periodically and um, so I must have been in enough pain this was in the early 80s it was a while ago and so I remember raising my hand and saying my name is Michael I'm a compulsive overeater and I need help I don't know how to do this and Matt M uh, who lost well over 100 pounds, reached out to me and, and uh, gave me his card and said, call me tomorrow. And I trusted him enough to call him. And he said, well, 
what, uh, what are you going to eat today? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, why don't you call me tomorrow at the same time and tell me what you ate? I said, okay. And um, I didn't want to do that. Uh, but I'm sure, I don't remember what I ate in the early 80s, but I'm sure that I kind of trusted it enough. to. I probably had a pretty clean day that day because there was another human being involved. You know? And there's something about being accountable to another human being. I mean, God is all loving and he's taking care of us, but that fifth step is really, really powerful. And trusting someone else, it's so hard for people like me to do that. So I called him and I told him what I was going to eat. And he got me on the path of taking a fifth step with my food admitting to God, to myself, another human being, the exact nature of my food. Now, I, I kind of knew about the 12 steps in AA. I think I had taken them. But, um, but I didn't know about the fifth step in OA. And I, and I kind of had to work the steps over again in Overeaters Anonymous. So, um, so I started the journey with you, and I lost the weight. And I got uh, more sensitive, and I got more nervous, and I got more aware. And... Um, my background, I don't know about you, you know, I, I'm fear-based. I've got a story that the disease runs in my family for generations. Now, I've heard compulsive overeaters come up here and they say, well, my family was great. I had a normal childhood. But they're just as fear-based as I am. And I'm, I'm, I can get in trouble thinking about the wreckage of my past and, and how the generations died of, of this disease because it makes me a victim. And, uh, you know, well, if you had my problems, you would eat, too. You would overeat as well. So, um, so what had happened, I, I'm going to tell this part of my story. My mother um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the early 50s after I was born. I'm an only child. And uh, she just uh, kind of flipped out in the, in the uh, early 50s and um, became suicidal and uh, um, she had many, many shock treatments, and she was just a dangerous person to herself and to me as an infant. And so um, she ended up, um, I think it's, it's like being incarcerated in Patton State Hospital in San Bernardino. We go up there every weekend and kind of see her and stuff. But um, so she had one of those first people that had a lobotomy in the early 50s. She wanted it. She said, you know... Uh, uh, I can't stand it. So if I had to, dis- to choose between compulsive overeating and schizophrenia, I'll take my disease. Thank you very much. But, um, so, but I started to pull away from you guys because I started to stop working the steps. I started to stop calling my sponsor consistently. I thought that my case might be a little bit different because of my mom's background. And uh, not only my mom, my dad died of cirrhosis of the liver. His dad died of cirrhosis. But particularly mom, I thought, I thought maybe I'd have a, a mental uh, thing going on. So when I'd call you guys and I didn't want to go to work in the morning, um, you guys would say, well, why don't you just try getting in the shower and take it one step at a time? And I'd get in the shower and I'd show up to work. And when I'd call my sponsor and say, I need to quit my job, I'm just so bored, I've been here for 12 and a half years, I'm going nowhere. He says, that's a good idea, Mike, but why don't you get yourself another job so that you'll have something to fall back on? Well, um, I was stuck, and instead of coming to you guys and asking for help, 
um, I started going to outside help and I started getting into therapy and I got into group therapy and I got into individual therapy and I was seeing a psychiatrist and, and I pulled back from you guys. In those days, in the early 80s, uh, late 80s, they brought teddy bears to meetings. It was kind of fashionable, especially in OA, you know. And, um, you know, when I bring teddy bears to meetings, I would get a lot of empathy from pretty women. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the best motivation, but I just, I kind of, um, I was spaced out. I was really, really crazy. And so um, I would ask my therapist, can I get on an antidepressant? I might be schizophrenic. And she said, Mike, you're in your, like, late 30s, you're in your 40s, whatever. Schizophrenia happens in your 20s. And she says, you're not a schizophrenic. I've been seeing you for three years, three and a half years. But I found a shrink that prescribed some medication for me. And, um, and I started taking this medication. And I didn't ask for sponsor direction or anything. Or, and people started getting really scary. Um, I quit my job. I quit the job that I had for 12 and a half years without calling my sponsor. And uh, I went to my therapy consistently. And I was really having fun because I didn't have to work. I don't know about you guys. I have the best job I've ever had in my life. And I still don't like to work. I prefer, I prefer staying in bed and, you know, being taken care of. But uh, so anyway, um, what had happened was um, I think I came here. I think I came to a, another 12-step meeting. And I heard Dr. Paul speak. Dr. Paul's in our big book. He wrote the story on, on acceptance. And he's not with us anymore, but he was very accessible, you know, to us. And... Uh, I was afraid to ask him for his number, but I asked for his wife's number. And I called Max the next day, and uh, she hooked me up with Dr. Paul. And Dr. Paul uh, wanted to know that um, if the therapy was working, and, and it wasn't. And he said, well, why don't you come back to the 12-step program that saved your life originally? So I trusted him, and I started calling him consistently, and he was a, a sponsor to me for a while. Now, because I'm an alcoholic, if I drink or use, uh, I lose my abstinence because it's imperative that I stay sober in this part of my, my food plan. So um, I came back, and uh, under the, under the um, guidance of Dr. Paul, I joined a very um, structured and disciplined home group in the other program. And, um, and I decided to change my sobriety date. And um, I hadn't even thought about my abstinence. But um, when I joined this structured and disciplined home group, um, I started putting on weight again. And uh, I told my AA sponsor that uh, I had been in OA before. And that, because uh, we believe in the home group that you only have one sponsor. Because my MO, before I even had a sponsor, was run all my shit by anybody who would listen and then get somebody to corroborate my opinion, and then I followed their direction. <laughs> and, um, and in my home group, you don't do that. You have strong sponsorship. You trust one sponsor. And so I went to my AA sponsor, and I said, well, you know, I think um, I, think I might need to, to go to OA. And he said, kid, he said, try every diet you can before you go back, but uh, see what happens. And uh, I wasn't... I mean, my AA sponsor is not a compulsive overeater, so how can I work my OA program and talk about my food? My, my sponsor is not interested in that. So I didn't try every diet, and I came to you. And um, I started uh, following, uh, taking the steps again, 
And Richie was around. Richie also was another 100-pounder, and he talked like this, and he was from New York. And I was looking for somebody to listen to my fifth step. And uh, Richie said, you know, Mike, he said, it took me three days to uh, read my fifth step to my OA sponsor. He says, I'm a glutton for punishment. Come over to my house, and I'll listen to you. <laughs> and... Um, so I li- he listened to me, and sure enough, it took three days. Now, it wasn't three days. We broke for lunch. You know, of course we broke for lunch. <laughs> and, um, and, and by the end of my fifth, by the end of the third day, I don't know about Richie, but I was just nauseous because it was the same character defect, different people, but the same character defects over and over again. But the, the beauty of it was I, I was back. I was back in the fold of OOA. And so I changed my abstinence date, and, um, and I've been coming back to you guys imperfectly ever since. Um, I wish that I could say, no, I don't. Well, yes, I do. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in the fear, the fear is much stronger than my higher power. You know, no matter how long I've been doing this, when I get into fear, fear is my higher power. So that's why I'm here tonight. Um, this is my connection to my higher power. This is where it all starts. And um, I tell you about a, I kind of feel like I'm jumping all around. Um, I go to a men's stag on Friday night. So last night we go, we went out to fellowship and um, I usually get carbolite on Friday night. You know, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about food or you're not allowed to talk about food. So it's, uh, it's a, a yogurt substitute, right? But there's hardly any calories in it. So I'm still vain as hell. I mean, I'll eat anything as long as I'm not going to put on weight to be rigorously honest. It's not the healthiest thing, but uh, that's what I do. So this guy bought me the Carbolite, and he said, why don't you try some sugar-free um, fudge, hot fudge? And I said, well, you're buying, why not? And so if I eat too much of that stuff, my wife suffers because, you know, I'll get up in the morning and she'll be out of bed. She'll be gone. And I'll go, honey, what happened? And she said, you stunk up the room. And it's not pretty and it's not polite. But when I'm faced with hot fudge and it's free, I don't think about my wife. I think about what it's going to taste like. Well, I woke up this morning and I was not feeling well. And I had to go to work at 7 o'clock. And there were, my colleagues were involved and there were kids involved and stuff like that. And I just, and I... It wasn't pretty. And uh, so I'm glad it's over. But just to tell you how powerless I am over food, um, I got, and I'm not proud of this either. I'm not, I'm far from perfect. I've been doing this since July 20th of 1990. So if you want what I have, um, I'm the kind of guy that, I don't know if you guys go to Starbucks, but I like Starbucks. And uh, I get this uh, iced tea, uh, venti green iced tea in a Trenta cup because you can get more of it. And on my good days, I put non-fat milk, and on my not-so-spiritual days, I'll fill it with half and half. And I'll just put a S-load of whatever that sugar-free stuff is, and it tastes like an ice cream sundae or whatever. So I had a horrible bout at work for a few hours, and, uh, and I was feeling weak, but I found myself at Starbucks. And those of you who have kids... Um, I have four, by the way, which is another miracle. I'm an only child. I can't figure out how God has given me four kids, but he has, and uh, that's kind of a blessing when I'm not in the fear. And um, so anyway, I'm going to start. So if you have kids and they have upset stomachs, they give you the BRAT diet. And BRAT stands, B stands for bananas, R stands for rice, 
A is applesauce and T is toast. So that's mild enough. You know, and they tell you to stay away from dairy. Well, there's no way at Starbucks I was going to stay away from dairy. So here I am pouring a little bit of half and half in there and eating. And the more I'm drinking this stuff, the more my stomach is reacting. And I just, I have a broken sensor. I really do. I know intellectually what the right thing to do is, but I don't do it all the time. But I got to tell you, calling my sponsor on a consistent basis, on a daily basis for 99% of the time, and taking a fifth step with my food has, for m the most part, given me healthy food choices. Okay? I'm a black and white kind of guy. You know, it's, it's all or nothing. And my sponsor and you guys tell me that life isn't all or nothing. It's not black and white. There's a lot of gray areas. And I have to be comfortable in the gray areas. And, uh, and I'm not. I am uh, a creature of comfort, and I like to feel good all the time, and I like to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it, and uh, that's the way it is. Uh, a few years ago, I um, put on some weight in this program, but even more important than that, I went to the doctor for a checkup. I go twice a year to the doctor. I'm blessed that I have a job that, uh, that has insurance. We don't have to pay any insurance. And so... Um, go twice a year, and my cholesterol was up uh, 100 points, and that's a lot. And I kind of figured, well, I was committing my food, but I was eating wrong kinds of food. I kind of got addicted to In-N-Out burgers, and, uh, but I would eat them uh, protein style without the bread so that I wouldn't be gaining any weight. But you eat a lot of those you know, during the week, and one's cholesterol goes up. So uh, I call Richie, who has moved to North Carolina, and he, uh, he uh, said, well, what are you eating? And, uh, you know, and if I, you know, he's the kind of guy that if I told him I'm eating cheese, he'd say, like, why are you eating those artery cloggers? Artery cloggers. Cheese. What's wrong with you? So, you know, he, he, he didn't pull any punches, and he still doesn't. So he suggested a, a food plan that concentrates on uh, vegetables and fruits and if I'm going to eat the protein, you know, get it in, you know, nuts or whatever. It was, it was not a lot of red meat. So, um, so I joined this. It's kind of, I guess you call it a diet, but I didn't treat it as a diet because I was with you guys. I was right in the middle of Overeaters Anonymous, and it was really easy. And I would see these people that were coming in and trying to follow this diet, and it was, they, were, it, they, were have, they were struggling. And for me, it was really, really easy. So the weight came off, but even more importantly, the 100-point cholesterol came down. Okay? So I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of in the middle of you guys right now. But uh, every once in a while, I crave a, a nice hamburger or a steak or uh, some meat. So the meat has kind of crept back. And like I say, I'm an all-or-nothing kind of a guy. So balance is sort of my, um, my goal. And uh, so I'm going to the doctor at Christmas, Christmas vacation, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. The fact is that I'm going to a doctor is a miracle for somebody like me because I don't want to know. My wife drives me crazy. Um, she don't want to know about her stuff. And uh, that there's yet another program that can help you release your loved ones with love and just work on yourself. And uh, that's a part of my disease as well. You know, and when I get scared, you're the one that, uh, that suffers, especially the ones that are close to me, my wife and my kids and stuff like that. So, um, 
So anyway, uh, I'm glad I'm going to the doctor. I'm glad that I want to be conscious today. I don't want to be conscious if, I don't, if I'm not in the middle of you guys. I just don't want to do it. And uh, my group teaches me to get a commitment at a meeting if, uh, so I can become a regular attender. Uh, otherwise, if there's a Laker game, a Clipper game, if there's anything going on, that I'll go next week. Um, I missed my kitchen sink meeting. Kitchen sink is on Saturday morning is my main meeting. And I understand they had a memorial for Natalie, who is an old timer that was around for a while. And she recently passed away. And my sponsor was real close to her. And I'm, I missed that. But I, um, now, if it was up to me, I'd call my sponsor, Terrell. And I, and I did tell him, I got, I've got to work today. And uh, do I work or what? And he says, Mike, you've got to go to work. You're on a tight budget. You know, he knows my thing. And he says, you'll be missed, but uh, we will go on without you. So I was lucky enough. God, uh, I choose to think it's a higher power. You may think I'm all uh, Pollyanna-ish, but I think God puts people in my life. I mean, Veronica didn't know two months ago that I was going to miss my kitchen sink meeting and that I was going to have to work. I didn't know that. But here I am. So I made, made up my, uh, my meeting today, and I know I'm going to be strong. And chances are tonight I'm not going to go out and binge because of it. Um, God is real present in my life. If you get offended by that word, I'm sorry. You want to use higher power. Um, I, uh, I have four children. My oldest uh, got clean and sober uh, eight, going on, going to be nine years in January. Um, he was locked up in a mental institution like my mom for a while. And uh, he was seeing a therapist, and the therapist's solution was... You're bipolar, you've got to do that medication for the rest of your life. And he was, didn't, couldn't work, he was watching TV, he was living with his mom. And so I went to the therapist and we had like a three, three session and I told him my experience. And the therapist said, well, you know, Sean, why don't you go and check out what your dad is into? And he has, and he's been like a, coming up on nine years. Uh, without uh, without any medication, clean and sober. Now, I'm not anti-medication, you know. Uh, my mom, may she rest in peace. Um, you know, today, you know, schizophrenia, they, they control it much better than they did in the early 50s. Um, that's another thing. I have a memory about my mom. My mom died when I was 18 years old. She was 42. And she was going to get a pack of cigarettes at Camarillo State Hospital. And she keeled over from a heart attack. So, you know, all the lobotomy and the drugs and who else knows what she was going through. And I, I remember when I was 18 years old, standing at the funeral service, and my father asking the rabbi, Rabbi, what's the point? You know, my wife suffered so much. And the rabbi's um, answer was, Louis, sometimes we just don't understand God's will. And I thought, that son of a bitch. <laughs> what the F? You know, that's not an answer. He's a clergyman. I want an answer. In, a, in, in Overeaters Anonymous, in my 12-step programs, I want an answer. I want to understand things. And, you know, you tell me, you know, utilize, don't analyze so much. Just don't use your head because I have a busy head. But I have come to a conclusion that works for me that my mother, if she was alive today, would be in, what, in her 90s and shuffling around Camarillo, if Camarillo is even still in existence, who knows where she would be. So I kind of loving higher power that, uh, that, that feels that my mother is at peace because she wasn't in peace here. And we took her when she was young. Well, what's the gift to me? Well, I'm abstinent, okay? Um, been doing this for 25 years, got a pretty good life going on. I got a son 
who's clean and sober and got married a few years ago, made me a grandpa. He's got two, two little babies and stuff. Um, tell you how else my higher power works. Uh, my wife, Christine, I have three children with Chris, and uh, she worked uh, at a job for 34 years, and about seven years ago, um, they outsourced her, her whole department, and, uh, and they just let them all go. And I'm a, I'm a teacher, and uh, this is another how God works in my life. We've been doing that for teaching for 20 years. They don't know who I really am, but I've been teaching for 20 years. And this is somebody that doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And, and I love what I do. But uh, so when Chris, uh, Chris started taking computer classes and looking what it would be like to get back in the working world, and then one day she says, Michael, I'm not going to work anymore. And I said, what? She says, I'm not going to work anymore. I worked for 34 years. I'm tired. I said, okay. And the rage and the anger and the fear came up, and I went crazy. This is coming up on eight years. And we have three kids, and one just graduated college, one's in college, one's in 11th grade in, in, in high school. And what God has done, or somebody has done, has made me self-supporting through our own contributions and the sole supporter of, of my family on a teacher's salary. And we're on a real tight budget, and we go consistently to another group that helps us communicate about our finances without me going off like a crazy man. And, uh, and somehow we've been doing pretty good for the last seven and a half years. And my daughter graduated college, and my other one's going to PCC. Uh, she's a basketball player. She took her high school team to the city championship. She was captain on her senior year. My ego is so involved in that because, you know, when I went to Fairfax High School, I was on the C-Track team, and uh, you needed, uh, like, five points to get a letterman's jacket. And I got four and a half points. And I went to my friend Bobby Sherman, and I said, Bobby, you have 20 points. Give me one of your points. The coach doesn't know shit. And so we went, and the coach didn't know shit, and I wore that letterman jacket. But I knew that I was a fake. You know, I know, you know that I'm a fake. My, my sponsor says, you know, the good, he's a little blunt, but he says the good thing about a sponsor is that they know you're an asshole. A, lo a loving, a loving sponsor that I have. And he means that we can't hide. We can't hide from each other. We can't, you can't, I can't hide from a sponsor that I call consistently on a daily basis. He knows who I am. Who am I, who am I trying to impress? Uh, my impression is going to make me die from this disease. So, um, anyway, Illy broke her. I came to you a few years ago. Illy was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I, I saw Candy at a meeting, and I just I started weeping. And I go, oh, my God. And there are people who have children with Crohn's disease, and they gave, gave me doctor's numbers, and they comforted me and everything. So, so Ellie tore her ACL uh, at the beginning of the season last year, college ball, and she was out. And I, 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 I was, she was devastated. She had to go through the pain. But my ego is, you know, oh, my God, she's never going to play again, never going to play again. Um, so she's playing now. A year has gone by. And um, the other day I went to her game last night, and they lost. And, and Illy is rehabbing, and she's doing really good. But I know she can do better. And at the end of the game, you know, my God says, Michael, Illy is is well. She didn't break anything. She's healthy. She had the guts to go back 
and play again in college ball. I don't think I would have done it. I might have. If I, when I have you guys with me, I do pretty courageous things. Uh, that's why I think I'm a teacher, and that's why I, I have three kids. And, you know, I'm a relatively good, good father with you. And uh, so that's, I'm going to end before you give me the sign. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, now time for one question. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Probably in the oh, what was the biggest thing that I had to overcome on a daily basis? It's getting out of bed. I have a lot of guys that call me in the morning and we read spiritual material, and none of that does anything until I get out of bed and turn on the shower. And that's when I feel the action is the, the magic word. But probably also with my food addiction, calling somebody and being honest with my food, that was devastating. I don't want anybody to know what I ate. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to know what I ate. That was, so those things. Am I done? Another question? Yes. What is your spiritual practice um, like during the day and in the morning? Well, um, like, what was my spiritual practice uh, during the day and in the morning and night? I, again, God has blessed me. I have guys that call, start calling me at like 5.30 in the morning, right? I've got a stack of, of OA literature right next to my bed. Um, Richie told me, you know, get down on your knees and pray. And I said, well, Richie, my, my religion, we're not supposed to get down on our knees. And he heard my inventory and he says, since when have you ever been a practicing Jew? <laughs> Get on your knees. So, I, I, I do it. And then when I, come, when I come home from school, I have guys call me. And at night, I have guys call me. So, I'm surrounded by you guys. So, that in a nutshell. And I do some more stuff. So, anyway, thank you.